Welcome to Reconciling Grace, a program where church leaders discuss various topics from the Bible. During the discussions, there may or may not always be agreement from every panel member on every point, but there is full agreement on the fact that the way to God the Father is through the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ. This is Pete Vecchi, one of the associate pastors for West Carrollton Church of the Nazarene, and I want to welcome you to another episode of Reconciling Grace. We are discussing the Lord's Prayer today, part two. Last week we had part one, and on our panel today with me are Steve Wilson. Steve is an author, a computer game programmer. He has a master's degree from United Theological Seminary in Dayton. Mick Wells is with us. He is the president of Wells of Salvation Ministries. He is also co-host of the Cross Connection radio program. And Vicki Cundiff is with us. Vicki is one of the staff pastors for Countryside Church of the Nazarene in Lebanon, Ohio. And as I said before, we started out with, I would call it part one of the Lord's Prayer last time. So I guess that means we're at what? Part two, right? But before we get into that, I thought it would be a good idea, and so did the people here on the panel, to go ahead and actually read the entire Lord's Prayer as it is found in the book of Matthew. We're going to read as it is found in the book of Matthew and the New International Version. Isn't that the version you're using, Steve? Yes, and as I read, I invite our listeners to pray this prayer with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And part one got us through your your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And before we move on from there, I just want to point out that those first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer, actually this is kind of a good place for us to um, to make the break between episode one and episode two, because the first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer are about adoration and praise. It's important to note that the first half of the prayer is focused on God turning our attention away from us and to him. But at the same time, when we get into this next part of the Lord's Prayer, it does show that God wants to remember us, that he is concerned for our needs. So what is that next line in the Lord's Prayer? It is, give us today our daily bread in the NIV. And if you want to look at the uh, King James Version and the, the way that some people have prayed it and memorized it is, give us this day our daily bread. Um, have you ever had a dad or a parent when you're a kid, give you an allowance? Anybody get an allowance when they were a kid? Yeah, a yes. small one. I mean, I remember when my parents decided I needed a raise from 50 to 60 cents a week. You know, <laughs> that's how long Whoa. ago it was. So what about, I mean, what about, what do you remember about getting an allowance? Was it a weekly thing? What was it? Was it per chore? Did anybody remember? Uh, I remember. It was... Uh, yeah, you had a certain list of chores that I had to do, and if I didn't do one of those chores, I got a dollar knocked off of my allowance. Uh, I also remember a lot of times asking for advances in my allowance so that I could you know, go do something or buy something I wanted a little bit early. Mm-hmm. I think mine was for uh, in recognition of doing my schoolwork and getting 
uh, decent grades. I got a quarter a week. I remember that. I was living in Columbus uh, around the fourth grade. Well, back it, then, a quarter back then would be worth about $50 to Well, it, it taught me money, yeah. money management because I would take a nickel of that and go down and buy a small bag of Casey Jones potato chips, and then I'd save the other 20 cents. <laughs> Sounds good. And it stayed with me to this day. Mm-hmm. I'm still saving quarters. Well, imagine, if you would, that um, we kind of talked about having the Father as the King in our first episode when we were talking about our Father in Heaven, the great, all-powerful God. But imagine an earthly king who owned basically everything. And the king decided that you as his child would never, ever, ever be wanting for anything. And so the king set up a certain day of the year, maybe even make it New Year's Day, when the son would be able to get or the daughter would be able to get um, the entire year's worth of allowance at once, you know, more than that person could ever spend. Would that be kind of an interesting thing to have? Well, I heard a story about this one time, and this is an illustration, it's not a true story, where after a few years, the king called his main steward and said, I want you to take that amount that we give my son and divide it up into 365 equal parts and give him one part of it a day. And the steward said, well, why would we do that? And the king said, because I want to see my son more than once a year. (laughs) and that's kind of what we're talking about here when when we're praying give us this day our daily bread because this is something that goes back to what we were taught back in the book of exodus remember what happened to the israelites when they didn't have enough to eat what did god do for them Gave them manna. Yeah, every day. Every day. Every day, except for which day? On Sunday. They had, on Saturday, they had to, well, no, it was Saturday back then. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, on the Sabbath day, they weren't supposed to pick it up, so they were supposed to get double the day before. Right. And so, but it was a daily thing, Mm -hmm. and they got manna daily. You know, God could have figured out a way to say, well, here's this huge loaf of bread, and this is going to last you a week or, or whatever, but... It was a day-by-day thing. And this is one of the things that um, I didn't even know if I was going to mention in here, but I heard a great story, and it's not just a story. This is basically the way that that it was done from what um, this Bible teacher was talking about, is that the Jewish customs of those days was that the people would have two main meals. They would have a morning meal that consisted of bread and water, And then they would have an evening meal, which consisted of bread and hot water. Well, why hot water? Well, because on the rare, rare, rare occasions when they would get some type of meat, it wasn't packaged neatly in our cellophane and styrofoam packages that we get at the store. It was meat that would come off of an animal and had a bone in it. And they would use this same bone over and over and over again in the hot water, almost like a soup. And it got to the point where pretty much there was nothing left on that bone except bone, and so it was hot water. But 
it would be that they would have two meals a day. And Jesus basically is talking about the fact that we need to go to God daily for our needs. He provides for us daily. These Jewish people at that time would pray in the morning for the bread they needed for that day, and then they would pray at night for the bread they would need tomorrow. So give us this day our daily bread is kind of where this petition came out of. Now, have you ever asked God for something and and just thought that he's not going to answer? Has that ever happened to you? I was thinking that we live in a land of plenty, and it's sometimes, I believe, hard for people to relate to this. They're praying to God, give us this day our daily bread, and their pantry is stocked to the hill. Kroger's is open 24-7, and their needs are already met. I I think the focus there should be on giving thanks to God for what he has provided for the day. Mm -hmm. And reasonably uh, foreseeable for tomorrow and the next day and so forth, but to also remember those in the world who would would seek to live for Jesus Christ, but there's no obvious meal for the day, mm-hmm. and they don't know where it's coming from. It's I think it's an entirely different perspective. I think that's an important perspective to have, too, because we have to remember that the situation that the people found themselves in when Jesus walked this earth was much more like the one you talked about than the one that we talked about. As I said, remember how rare it was for them to have meat. You know, they were um, in a big crowd when Jesus fed 5,000 with bread and 4,000 another time with bread. This is something where just eating was something that they did not take for granted like we do. But at the same time, don't you think that this means more than just bread? Is bread, physical food, the only thing that, that we need to ask God for daily? Well, it's, it's also praying that God would impart to us the bread of life mm-hmm. and give us an appreciation for that, because we need that as much or more. The bread of life, and that alludes to when Jesus said that he is the bread of life. Absolutely. And so what kinds of things are necessary for us besides food? Spiritually, you know, have we gone, when I'm saying we, maybe me, maybe you, maybe anybody in our listening audience, have there been days when we have gone maybe more than days without truly stopping and thinking about our utter reliance upon God? We just kind of take it for granted, especially since we're part of his family. We take it for granted. But you know what? We need to remember that we have our utter dependence on God. This prayer is designed, as one of the Bible teachers um, I was hearing from said, to awaken in us more than just thoughts of food. It's designed to awaken in us our dependence upon God. We often don't realize how close we are to starvation in the areas of our lives beyond food. And this petition in the Lord's Prayer calls us to remember that our dependence is on God all of the time. The fact that Jesus tells us to pray this tells us that God is concerned for the needs of our lives. You know, the lesson for the manna to get it daily was to teach dependence uh, upon him to provide. Because remember, if they tried to double up for the next day, it would just spoil and be Mm -hmm. rotten. And so that was a lesson that he was trying to teach and the lesson that is there uh, for us uh, today, 
But, you know, we ask in prayer knowing that He has the power to give us what we need. Mm-hmm. We're totally dependent upon Him for our spiritually and for our physical life and everything. That's right. And we have needs, as I say, beyond just food. You know, it doesn't say give us this day our daily clothing, but guess what? That's part of it. He gives us places, He gives us clothes to wear. He doesn't say give us this day our place to lay our head, but guess what? It's part of it. We have a place to lay our head at night. Um, and we're thankful for that. He cares about all of our needs. And speaking of needs, I'm going to need to take a break just about now. I think it's better to do it now rather than wait another uh, half a minute. And we need to take this break for our sponsor, and we will be right back with Reconciling Grace. Welcome back to our discussion of the Lord's Prayer Part 2. We've gotten all the way through the part that says, Give us this day our daily bread. And what comes next? Forgive us our... What? What are the words? Trespasses. Debts. Trespasses. (laughs) Sins. Sins. It could be all... What's going on here, folks? What do we we say? Now, I think the, the traditional way that many of us learned it, especially um, if we are influenced by the King James Bible, was trespasses. Forgive us our trespasses. But in the NIV, which we read to start today, Steve, wasn't it uh, debts? Debts, yep. It was debts. And so, well, what is it? Well, I don't want to bore everybody with a big history lesson, but let's just say that um, there is this true story of a friend of mine whose dad was a pastor. And it was in a denomination where they changed their book of worship. Now, this is a liturgical denomination. And one of the settings for the worship service changed the words from the traditional Lord's Prayer to say, forgive us our sins. And he said this lady came up to him and said, I don't like this new one. We want to pray it the way Jesus prayed it. And the father of my friend was very um, good about holding his tongue, but he said in his mind, he's wanting to say to her, oh, so you speak Aramaic. (laughs) Because Jesus spoke it in Aramaic. And Mick, I think we were talking off mic a little bit in between the two sessions um, for this episode, how it really gives us an appreciation for the Bible translators. Mm -hmm. Because um, here we are, Jesus probably prayed it in Aramaic, And then it was written down for us by Matthew in Greek, and now we're supposed to say it in English. So what happened? Why why does it say debts in Matthew in the NIV and trespasses in the King James? Well, I've read that it became trespasses because of some of the earliest English translations. It was either Wycliffe or Tyndall. I'm not sure. I've seen both. Um, attributed to them. And the problem was that that really wasn't a great translation, trespasses. The word that Jesus would have used in Aramaic, and, and I don't know how to say Aramaic, but transliterated into English, the letters are H-O-B-B-A, so I'll just say hoba or haba. That would, been, that would have been the word that Jesus would have used. And in Greek, that word could mean both sins of omission and sins of commission. Now, Matthew was writing primarily to a Jewish audience, 
and he was worried about the things that um, didn't get done that should have gotten done. Remember, he was talking about the Pharisees who they followed the law, but they failed to love their neighbors. And so he used the word that in Greek would have been translated sins of omission. Luke, if you look in the New International Version, the word is often translated sins. Well, Luke was writing predominantly to a Gentile audience. And so these are the people who would actually sin against the law of God because they didn't know the law of God and sins of commission. And so he used the word sins. And so the idea is that this word debts, sins, the Greek word that Jesus used means both of them. So the, the Bible authors each had a, had a choice of what Greek word to use there. So now that's our big Bible um, translation thing for the day, and I hope I didn't bore everybody in, in there uh, listening to this. But basically, let me get to what we're supposed to forgive. What does it mean to forgive? What does it really mean? Anybody have an idea there? I'd say to not hold something against somebody. Mm -hmm. That's a good thing. Anybody else have another idea what what to forgive means? Well, and you, you take it even deeper than that. It's the letting go of harboring uh, a grudge or anger or anything that is also inside of you because of the need to forgive somebody. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that that's what the Greek word really gets to. To forgive actually means to let go of. So what we're doing is we hold on to things such as sins and hurts. Has anybody here, and you don't have to tell me what it was, but has anybody here ever been hurt by somebody and it's just really, really, really hard to let go of that hurt? Sure. Yeah, I mean, things that cut your heart out. Mm -hmm. you know? And the problem is, what we're asking God to do is to forgive us our trespasses, to forgive us our sins, to forgive us our debts. And what that really means is we're asking him to let go of these things. We have been hurt. And so the prayer goes on to say, as we also have forgiven our debtors, or as we forgive those who trespass against us. Our problem as human beings is we have a hard time letting go, don't we? We really have a hard time letting go. Who here is familiar with the term forgive and forget? Yeah. Yep. Can anybody tell me a story when they have been told that? And maybe not about the issue, but maybe not tell me a story. But let me ask you this. Has anybody ever been told to forget something and they actually forgot it? I thank God. Only the Lord can truly consciously and purposefully forget something mm -hmm. you know it's it's easy i suppose not really but it's easy enough to say in in yourself i forgive them but the hurt remains quite often mm -hmm. exactly and it's it's very difficult to forget and you don't know if if experiencing that hurt after the fact is evidence of unforgiveness i suppose every christian has wrestled with that right I don't know if that it would be, um, because I've experienced that as well, and you know, stuff keeps coming to your mind. But I think the, the way the mind works, though, from things that I've learned over the years, is that if you stop speaking it, you stop thinking it, if you stop, tell, stop telling it to someone else, it's going to uh, come less and less to your mind. 
And the biblical meaning of uh, forgetting is not holding something against someone else. Mm -hmm. And that's what God does for us. He doesn't forget what I have done when I sinned against Him and rebelled against Him before I came to know Him and, and you know, anything that I've done, committed since then. He, he knows it, but He doesn't hold it against me. He will remember our sins and lawless acts no more. What does that mean? Remember it no more. That means not that He forgets it, but He yeah. won't bring it up again. Right. And that's basically getting right to the point that, that I wanted to get to is because we cannot order a memory away. That's the point that I wanted to get at. We cannot order a memory to go away. It's like that old song that I heard in the 1970s. I think it was a country song. The title of the song was, Please Remember What I Told You to Forget. <laughs> and I don't remember a whole lot about the song except that line, um, but... We cannot order a memory away, but what we can do is we can keep letting go of it. We can keep refusing to bring it back up, even in our own minds, or as Vicki, as you said, to other people or to talk about it. And that's what we need to keep doing is keep letting go of it. Now, our minds are things that are beyond our control sometimes. Just when we think a matter has finally gone out of our minds, what happens? It comes there up. it is. Mm -hmm. It is. But and that's when we need to take captive our thoughts. When it comes to mm -hmm. our mind, that we're going to recognize it, and then we're going to think about something else and say, Lord, I've, I've already committed that to you. I'm not going to think about that anymore. Mm -hmm. And that takes some work on mm -hmm. our part. It sure does. You know, sometimes I'll think to myself, that happened so many years ago. Why am I thinking about that right now? <laughs> yeah. But something will trigger a thought. <clears throat> that's mm -hmm. right. And we don't, we can't, again, we can't order it away, but we can let go of it. Right. And that's what it's saying. We want to say here that we are promising to give up all known sin. We are promising to let go of these things that are standing between us and God and standing between us and other people. Pete, I was thinking too with this particular passage, it seems to be a blanket prayer. It doesn't deal on specifics. And yet elsewhere in the Bible it says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. The implication to me at least is that we're confessing specific um, wrongdoings mm -hmm. that the Holy Spirit has convicted us we need to take to the throne. Mm -hmm. This is, is almost like a blanket prayer. Do you believe there's absolution from God for the blanket thing, as if we're praying for forgiveness for things that we can't even recall, you know, um, things that aren't, that we can't think of specific but may have caused a wedge between us and God? Sure, and I think that, that that is all inclusive because we might not be aware of certain things. Um, it's like, I, I hate using the example of an American court system, that's really the only court system that I know, but um, you know, I'll, I'll watch these court shows, um, the People's Court, Judge Judy, things like that, and how often I've heard them say something of, you didn't mean to do this to these people, but your actions caused it. And so although you're not really being held culpable, like you didn't purposely let this happen, your actions caused this bad thing to happen and they suffered a loss. So you're going to have to cover that loss. There are times when we will do things not meaning to be um, bad, not meaning to be wrong. I think Dr. Hahn, one of the people who I read this, uh, who had the Bible study with, says it's the times when we... Um, Aim straight, but don't shoot straight. We aim right, but don't shoot straight. 
we, we miss that mark. Even though we try to do the right thing, we might not. So we're not necessarily held culpable as though you're going to go to hell for this, but you have a responsibility. Mm-hmm. So is that kind of where you were coming from with that, Mick? Yeah, it seems to cover the waterfront um, just to make sure that we're there's nothing between us and the Lord. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just was recognizing there that it was kind of a, a blanket pr- okay. blanket request. Well, we need to move on before we start getting into part three and four and five of this. Lead us not into temptation. Steve, you said that you and Mick might have an argument on this one. What were you talking about? Steve, put those <laughs> boxing gloves away. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, uh, no, I think, you know, the question is, well, how can God lead us not into temptation um, it opens the question, well, does he lead us there in the first place? And what exactly are we asking him not to do in this? I think we're asking him not to do what he already said he wouldn't do. I think we're kind of reaffirming that mm-hmm. that to him because the Scripture clearly says, uh, let no man when he is tempted say, I am tempted of God. He doesn't do that. So, But I, in our email conversations, Steve, I was thinking that temptation is kind of a two, two-fold thing. There's the idea of one who does tempting versus the idea of uh, not giving in to temptation. So there's a sending and a receiving aspect of temptation, as I saw it. In other words, Satan tried to tempt Jesus, but uh, Jesus wasn't buying that, even though Satan tried he was being tempted by Satan, but he wasn't giving in to temptation. I think that's the point. Mm-hmm. I like to say mm-hmm. that temptation isn't a sin, but giving in to temptation is. Right. I uh, think back of Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, I believe, where Jesus is going into the desert to be tempted by the devil. It says the Spirit led him into the desert to be tempted. Now, that doesn't mean God is tempting him. But it means that God is uh, allowing that situation to occur. He's, he, he allows us to be tempted. He allows us to be tested is another uh, way to interpret that word. And when we say, God, lead us not into temptation, I'm thinking, well, the best way for me to not give in to temptation is for me to not even be presented with the opportunity to be tempted in the first place. So I'm saying, God... Can you make today a little bit easier for me? Can you, can you keep the temptations away from me? I have a great thing I'd like to add here. I don't know if we're going to have enough time to do it, but I'm going to give it a try. The way that some of the rabbis of the day of Jesus taught was that they would tell their people to pray to be tempted or pray to be tested so that they could show how worthy they were. Now, Jesus is coming back and saying, no, don't pray that. Pray to be letting me be spared from as much testing or as much tempting as I can be, because you might just fall into that temptation. You might fall in that testing. We're going to show that you really are not worthy, are not able to do this. Well, I'm going to have to hurry up here. Deliver us from the evil or deliver us from the evil one. It goes to saying, deliver us from the evil that the evil one does. And for thine is the kingdom and power and the glory forever isn't really in the original prayer, but that was a benediction. 
And so Dr. Hahn basically said that these words were understood by the people who had heard Jesus pray. And they understood that he would have said them, but they didn't write them down until the point where the people in the church stopped learning their history and they figured they had to write down these things that we know that Jesus said, even though we didn't write them down before. And I tell you what, folks, we just scratched the surface, but we are running out of time. We have just a few seconds left. So I hope that this has been helpful, that we have talked about the Lord's Prayer. I hope that it'll be meaningful the next time you pray it. So for Vicki Cundiff, for Mick Wells, for Steve Wilson, this is Pete Vecchi. Thank you for joining us today for Reconciling Grace. May God bless you. Have a wonderful day in the Lord. This has been Reconciling Grace. Join us again next time as our panel discusses biblical truths centered around the reconciling grace of Jesus Christ.